0: Please join me for a word of prayer. Oh, God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for the love of your son in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, pain, pain is a problem, a couple of problems with pain. Number one is that we all experience, we cannot help but experience pain. Uh, on a personal note, I experience pain in my left shoulder due to yet another soccer injury. Uh, we all experience physical pain, but we all, uh, but pain comes in many shapes, forms, and sizes. Uh, in addition to physical pain, we experience emotional pain, uh, the pain of loss, the sorrow of loss. In addition to emotional pain, we all experience psychological pain, stress, and worry. One of the problems with pain is that it seems to be unavoidable, ubiquitous. Uh, another problem with pain is we don't like it. Not only is it everywhere, but it's very unpleasant. I don't like the fact that I have a bum shoulder. I can't sleep on my left side. And I wake up every time I roll over. One of the most basic instincts for every one of us is to avoid pain. The things that hurt us we call bad and we don't want to do them again. Pain is everywhere. Pain is unpleasant. And the treatment of pain is difficult as well. I'm sure you are all familiar with the uh, just the 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 opioid crisis that uh, hopefully we're coming out of, and in my research for this sermon, I uh, looked at this, This Won't Hurt, a special report on curing pain and The Economist, 430,000 people have died due to the opioid crisis in the past 20 years. Treating pain. Now that is a staggering amount of loss and pain caused by, at least initially, the impulse to treat it, to make it go away. The treatment of pain is a problem. And if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, pain presents yet another problem, is that pain can seem incongruous to the Christian faith. It just doesn't make sense. If God is good, if he is with me, then why? Why so much pain? Why am I not married? Why did I experience loss? Why did I, a small example, why did I hurt my shoulder? Our experience of pain can be incongruous with our belief in a good God. So the problem of pain is its pervasiveness, its unpleasantness, its misguided treatment of it, and faith can add the seemingly incongruity between faith and a good God and our experience of pain. And on that happy note, welcome to Christ the King this morning. We're glad that you are here for the service of baptism. Uh, in our sermon series, uh, we've been going through specific lines of the Apostles' Creed, uh, or the Nicene Creed, two creeds. Uh, uh, Normally, in this time, we'd address one passage of Scripture, but for this sermon series, I'm focusing on one little portion of the creed and this Sunday we're going to focus on the portion of the creed that begins as listed in your sermon notes for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate and will end with he is seated at the right hand of the father we're not going to get to that last sentence of he will come again to judge the living and the dead last week we thought about who Jesus was this week we're going to think about what he did and that what he did is summarized for us in these creedal statements Now, what is a creed? A creed is a summary of the Christian faith. Uh, There are over 700,000 words in the Bible. A lot of words. There are only 200 words in the creeds. The creeds are a very uh, short summary of the essential content of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul said in our first lesson, he said, I deliver these things to you of first importance. And that's what the creeds attempt to do. They attempt to give us things that are of first importance. Now, put your, uh, entertain this hypothetical question with me. If it was your job to summarize the life of Jesus Christ, and you only had, say, 10 to 15 words to do so, that's what the creeds spend uh, dedicate to the life of Christ. If you only had a, a very brief amount of words, what would you say about the life of Christ? What are those things that are, are of first importance? Would you speak of his, uh, his control of nature? His calming of the storms. His uh, compassionate character. His kindness to strangers. His care for sinners. Would you talk about his his teaching ministry? Well, it's noteworthy that the the, the creeds, when they summarize the things that are of first importance, they mention none of that. They make a passing reference to Jesus' birth. He, He was born of a virgin Mary and then jump straight to the time of his death. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And that, by the way, is why we reference Pontius Pilate in our creeds, is not to demonize Pontius Pilate again and again and again, and rather to place the events of Jesus' death in real time, in real history, under Pontius Pilate, in a specific time, in a specific place, not long ago in a galaxy far away. No, in real time and in real history. Further, the creeds go on to describe the experience experience of his death, which entailed suffering. Further, the creeds go on to describe the finality of his death, which involved burial. Now, why, if your words were that limited, 15 words, why would you take 15 words that could be summarized in just one word? He died. Done. Done. Why do we need to repeat ourselves that his suffering occurred at this time, that it was under the means of crucifixion at a specific place, and that his death was followed by burial? Now, recall that last week I suggested that the creeds are not only a a summary, but they are also corrective. And one of the reasons that our creeds reassert again and again that Jesus truly is God God from God, light from light, recall from last week, is because there were some who suggested that he wasn't. And the reason our creeds are go to great lengths to assert that Jesus truly died and that he truly suffered and that he was truly buried is because there were some who asserted that he didn't. He didn't what? He didn't suffer. Now that seems crazy. That seems outlandish. Even with only a cursory knowledge of crucifixion, we all know that it involves suffering. Where would this idea come that Jesus just skated through without any suffering? Well, it comes from a a tempting belief. And here's where this belief comes from. It is the belief that Jesus was so spiritual so close to God, such a, a prayerful man and such a good man, all well, that he just sort of bypassed all those in, all that indignity of suffering. You see, he was so close to God that he just skipped it. Jesus' superior spirituality, his nearness to God, must have shielded him from the indignities of suffering, death, and burial. Now that is an error. That is not true. Bishop Allison, Fitz Allison, from South Carolina, who's preached here before, wrote a book entitled The Cruelty of Heresy. And what I've just described, this notion that Jesus really didn't suffer, is a heresy. A heresy is simply a misguided belief about God and about Jesus and his title suggests the cruelty of heresy, is that orthodoxy is important not because you get an A in your orthodoxy exam. Orthodoxy is important because the, uh, because the alternative is cruel. There's a cruelty to a false belief about God. And there's a cruelty that's wrapped up in this belief that Jesus really didn't have to suffer. And the, the cruelty is this. This heresy which asserts that Jesus avoided suffering because of his proximity to God is cruel because it offers the same false hope to you and me. The h- false hope that if you and I are close enough to God, if we are blessed by God, then we will somehow be shielded. We'll be shielded to avoid the things that they said he avoided. Suffering. Suffering. This heresy is a misguided treatment of the problem of pain. And while it is tempting to believe that the more spiritual you become, the closer to God you become, the less pain you will encounter, it's tempting to believe that it's simply cruel, not true. And because it is not true, it is cruel. And every Sunday we say that the most the man who is closest to God. Uh, the man who enjoyed an unbroken relationship with God, truly suffered, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. And it is cool, cruel for us, for me to preach or for you to believe that the presence of God in your life will shield you from from the experience of pain because if if that is true then it is only logical that a life full of pain and a life free of blessing must also mean that God is not with you does that make sense? in other words if I equate God's blessing with peace and blessing and pain free then if I do experience pain if I do experience hardship then it must mean what? That God is not here, that he has forgotten me, or he didn't exist in the first place. This heresy adds the insult of abandonment to the injury of pain. And this Jesus who never suffered will never be where you need him to be when you need him the most and that is just cruel. If heresy is cruel, then orthodoxy is kind. This orthodox statement that Jesus suffered, he died and was buried as kind, because first of all, it affirms the reality of suffering. It affirms that Jesus really suffered. I uh, again reference this uh, article Dr. Pashar, who specializes in the field of treating chronic pain, states that the first thing he does when he sits down with a patient experiencing chronic pain is simply he validates their experience. Tell me about your pain. That must hurt. This first, this line of the creed that he suffered validates our experience of, of suffering because Jesus truly suffered. Further, this orthodox affirmation that he suffered is kind because it teaches us that we are no longer alone. Regardless of whatever suffering that you encounter, Jesus is with you down to the lowest of depths. He truly suffered. Finally, this orthodox statement is kind because it teaches us the rhythm of pain. So two points for this sermon. The reality of pain, which we have just considered. And secondly, the rhythm of pain. That's the point we turn to next. rhythm of pain. And I intentionally say, don't say the purpose of pain because I don't think it's really helpful to think through sort of a tit for tat. I'm going through this pain that must lead to this blessing. I think that's pretty difficult math. But I do think that these creeds uh, capture a rhythm of suffering, a rhythm of our encounter with pain that is true to scripture And here is the rhythm. You see it, that this same Jesus who died rose. This same Jesus who descended into the grave ascended into heaven. The same Jesus who who suffered under Pontius Pilate was vindicated and now sits at God's right hand. And the pattern is simply this, no pain, no gain. No cross, no crown. Christian faith offers the promise of life, but it only offers the promised life under the condition of death. And no exceptions. Christian faith offers the promise of eternal life, eternal life with God, but it does so only on the condition of death. The Bible equates sin with death. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and further the wages of sin is death. If we were to die for our sin, that would be the end of us and no life. But God in his mercy sent Jesus who died for sins, not his own but ours, in order to save us. And so the salvation that we have, that we claim of eternal life only comes through the pain of his death. And so there is the pattern no pain, no gain, no death, no life. And we receive the blessing of eternal life as we receive by faith the reality of his cross into our own lives by faith and then sealed in baptism. Christianity offers a promise of eternal life then and full life now, but again, The promise of life only comes through the reality of death. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, the passage we read, you'll note how seamlessly Jesus moved from the cross that he would carry to the cross that we must carry. Mark 8, whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, must take up their cross and must follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This passage formed the basis of one of the most beautiful prayers in our Anglican order of worship. A prayer by William Reed Huntington who wrote, Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy but first suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and the way of peace. We are all tempted to avoid pain, to avoid our crosses, to pretend they don't exist, to drown them, to medicate them, to stuff them. But the way of escape is not the way of the cross. And the way of the cross, of self-denial, of self-giving, of self-sacrifice, promises a life, a full life, a life of peace, fellowship, endurance, character, and hope. And so the pattern once again, not only no pain, no gain for our eternal life, but no pain, no gain for our life here and now. And so we draw our thoughts to a conclusion. These creeds capture the essential work of Jesus Christ the reality of his death, and the reality of his resurrection. The phrase, he truly suffered, died, and buried, affirms the reality of suffering. Christians are not masochists. Christians don't go looking for pain. We're just realists. We simply know that in this world there will be trouble. All types of trouble. And no amount of spirituality or Bible study, prayer, or nearness to God will shield you from it. The reality of suffering. Finally, the rhythm of suffering. The phrase, he rose again, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father teaches us the rhythm of suffering. Christians are not Stoics. We simply don't grin and bear it, keep a stiff upper lip. No, we're hopeful. Hopeful that the pattern of death followed by life, of pain followed by gain, which is captured for us in the creeds, seen in the life of Christ, will in the end be true for you and me. So I close with a well-known prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. Who captured these when he pray- captured these thoughts when he prayed, "O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. May I not seek to be loved so much as to love? For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to life. Amen.